0: in Gresham, Oregon, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Gresham, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Gresham. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good afternoon and welcome everyone. I am your host, James Orr, and I'm really excited today. Today is going to be a crazy new spreadsheet, new class. And so this class is called Rental Portfolio Return in Dollars Quadrants. It's a new spreadsheet you've got that allows you to track your entire rental portfolio's returns for all of the different quadrants you have, appreciation, cash flow, debt paid out, cash flow from depreciation, reserves, and it allows you to summarize that. Plus, it gives you some extra information about how those different returns are taxed and whether they're cash now, cash later, more speculative, less, less uh, certain sort of stuff. So like we have like all those different things involved there. So you can go download a copy of the newest spreadsheet at refp.info forward slash R P R I D Q and R P R I D Q stands for rental portfolio Return in Dollars Quadrant, R P R I D Q. So R E I P dot info, R I P, not rq R-I-P, Oh my gosh! I'll put the note, I'll put the link in the show notes. There you go. That's a good deal. Okay, so as we get started, let me kind of give you some background information to understand like what is happening here and why this spreadsheet is so amazing and why you're going to love it. So the Return in Dollars Quadrant is the trademarked visual representation we have of the different areas of return you get by owning rental property. So this is it on the screen. You've seen this before if you've seen a lot of my stuff. Uh, but basically, it shows you the four different primary areas that you get return when you buy a rental property the appreciation part of the return, which is the tendency for property values to increase over time, the cash flow portion, which is all of the income you're receiving on the rental property, usually from leases. Uh, Minus all of the expenses, vacancy, property management, taxes, insurance, mortgage payment, maintenance, all that stuff. We subtract it out from what you're receiving as income and what you're left over with is your net cash flow after all expenses. And so that's one of the other returns. The third return is debt pay down. If you've got an amortizing mortgage, and you're making monthly payments or regular payments on that. Then with each payment, a little bit of the loan is paid down. And you owe less. The amount you pay down in principle is your return from debt pay down. It's the amount of return you're getting by paying down the loan each particular month, and your equity is increasing by that amount. And then the last one of the four primary are the tax benefits, which we typically refer to as depreciation. Or in this specific case, we're gonna talk about cash flow from depreciation, which is the after tax benefit you get by owning this particular rental property. And then in the middle, we usually visualize this and show you the total from those four areas of return. Now, When we look at that graphic, a lot of times we're like, well, what time period does this cover? And really, it depends. So these can be both forward-looking, as in like we're looking at the returns we're going to get in the next year on a property, or they may be that we're going to look at the returns we're going to get over the lifetime of owning the property. So really, the time periods can be forward-looking, or we can look at this and say, hey, what did I earn in the last year from owning this particular rental property? So it could be backward-looking. The most common that we use is how much will your property appreciate, have cash flow, pay down on the loan, and have tax benefits from owning the property in the form of cash flow from depreciation over the next year? That's the most common version, but we can do any other version you want. We can do over the entire ownership period. We could do the next 11 years as some arbitrary number or really whatever you want to do. And this this is really a, in quotes, pro forma or the form that this will take or another fancy way of saying that, another like more... Common way of saying that is we're guessing what the return is going to be in the next year. Like when we buy a property, do we know what the property will appreciate in the next year? Absolutely not. Well, that says we're guessing as to what that will be. Do we know how much the property will cash for the next year? Well, when we know the lease amount, a lot of times we know the, the expenses that are fixed on the property, like taxes and insurance and you know uh, things like that. But do we really know what the maintenance is going to be on a property? No, we can set aside a fund for maintenance. Do we really know what the property management is going to be on that property? No, we can guess if it's in steady state and the property is kind of just like just humming along and no real big issues. But there can be unusual things that happen in a property, different maintenance, different vacancy, different property management fees. In fact, there could be um, other like HOA things, like special assessments and stuff like that. So yeah, we're always guessing, even with like things like cash flow, what about debt paydown? Yeah, in most cases, unless you're making extra payments on the loan, your debt pay down is going to be relatively static. And also your cash flow from depreciation is going to be known because in most cases, unless you're accelerating that or it's ending, we know what it's going to be because you bought the property and you know what it is once you set up the depreciation schedule. So a lot of those things are going to be fixed, but for the most part, those are going to be guesses as to what's going to happen in the, for, in the future. We call that pro forma, the form that it will take. And really, it's a, a fancy way of saying we're guessing as to what the returns are going to be doing that. Now, when you're looking backwards, we know, right? You look backwards, you say, OK, over the last year, exactly how much did this property appreciate? At the beginning, January 1st of the previous year. What was it worth? And then January 1st of this year, what is it worth? And we can look at that exact thing. We can look at exactly how much cash flow we have by looking at what we collected and what all of our real expenses were on the property. We can look at exactly how much we paid down in the loan by looking at the mortgage balance on one date and looking at the mortgage balance a year later on the next date. So we can do those and be very accurate with it, looking looking backwards, but it's hard to do in the forward, kind of like looking forward into the future. Now, there's a variation of the return in dollars quadrant. There's the normal one where we talk about appreciation, cash flow, debt pay down, tax benefits, and then the total amount in the middle. But if you're really thinking about investing in rental properties, it would be very prudent for you to invest with reserves. Another way of saying this, and I don't usually use strong language like this, and I don't usually get all up in your face and stuff like that. But I'm going to use some very strong language here and be very deliberate about this. You would be stupid to invest in real estate without setting aside adequate reserves. And I feel that strongly about it because you really do need to have reserves for the unexpected things that come up. So if you're like investing in this stuff and you are not taking into account reserves, you're probably doing it wrong. And so if you're just looking at your return for appreciation and cash flow, and debt pay down, and tax benefits and you're trying to calculate what your return is on like, let's say a certain amount that you have invested or the amount of equity you have in your property, and you're ignoring the fact that you need to have six months of reserves or 12 months of reserves or 24 months of reserves or whatever you set aside for reserves, if you're not taking into account that extra amount for reserves, you're probably not analyzing your deals correctly. This is sort of like the white lie that we tell when we go to cocktail parties. We say, you know, my, my investor property is doing amazing. You know, I've got no money in the deal because I bought it with a no money down loan and I'm getting this amazing return on it. Well, you wouldn't ever buy that property without having a certain amount in reserve, six months of reserves or 12 months of reserves or 24 months or 36 months or whatever it is in reserves. So the fact that you think you're investing in this thing with nothing down is not true. And so that's the lie we tell at cocktail parties about, you know, we're getting this amazing return. Really, we should be including how much we had to invest in the deal and the amount we have to have to invest in reserves to do that. And if we're looking at return on investment, we should include those reserves as part of what we had to invest in order to get the deal. Or if we're looking at it as return on equity, we should include reserves. Plus the equity we have in the deal as like the return we're getting in order to continue to hold on to that particular property. Now, as soon as I explain that to you and you're like, okay, you know, James, I'll buy that. You know, the fact that you need to have reserves in order to buy a rental property, that sort of makes sense because we really are not going to buy a property without having reserves in this. Well, as soon as I tell you that, now you have a certain amount of money you have on reserves. We really should look at what we're earning on those reserves that are sitting on the sideline, whether it's savings accounts or CDs or if we're going to get really risky and do like stocks or bonds or whatever we're going to do in that thing we can look at the return we're earning on the reserves as an extra return that we are getting by having this property as well. Because if you're going to have the reserve set aside, if you're going to have $10,000 or $20,000 or $50,000 or $100,000 or more, depending on how many rental properties you have and how much you're setting aside in reserves, if you're going to have that large chunk of money sitting on the sideline, you really should take into account the money that you're earning on that reserve as part of the property. And so whatever you've allocated to a specific property, you should take that Return that you're earning on the reserves you have invested elsewhere, no matter what that's invested in, and include that in your return. So we have a different variation of the return in dollars quadrant, where we talk about the return we're getting from appreciation, how many dollars the property went up in value, the return we're getting from cash flow, how many dollars of cash flow do we get in that next year as an example? Or how much do we pay down the loan in that year from debt pay down, or how much we got in cash flow from depreciation? Uh, for owning this particular property. And then in addition to that, the variation with the one with reserves says, how much did we earn on the reserves that we set aside to own this property? And so we have a version of this where we have the four primary returns, appreciation, cash flow, debt paid out tax benefits. And in addition to that, we have an additional one for reserves on the bottom, which is sort of your base of all the things that you kind of need that in order to continue to make this investment elsewhere. And then that gets included in the total as well. So that's why we have a different version for ret- for reserves. And that's why you will see on the spreadsheet, there's a section in there for reserves. It's not the amount you have in reserves. It's the return you're earning on the reserves you have set aside in order to own this property. Okay. So there are two flavors of reserves. And this is just sort of like by definition. It's like how we define the kind of return in dollars quadrant plus, you know, R six is the six month reserve version, and R twelve is the twelve month reserve reserve version. But you know, you could arbitrarily say, "Hey, look, you know, I- I'm actually going to set aside twenty four months of reserves on all my properties, and I'm going to keep it into a savings account, and which I'm only earning you know one percent or three percent or four percent or whatever you can earn at the time by doing that." The two flavors we have by default are this six months of reserves version, which we assume you're keeping in something really really safe like a savings account or a CD or something like that, where you're earning a very small percentage. And we've arbitrarily picked 1% as an example from this. Or you have 12 months of reserves. You have you know at least twice as much as you think you might need if you were going to keep it in something safe, but you're going to be able to invest the majority of that in something a little bit more risky, like stocks or bonds. And we're going to just arbitrarily say, not that you're guaranteed to earn 8% in the stock market, we're just arbitrarily going to say you're earning a higher amount And we picked 8% as just sort of like really rough number to estimate what you might earn in the future by keeping 12 months of reserves on the side. And this class was not intended to be a whole class on reserves. It's really just sort of like touching the surface of this discussion to show you why there are two different flavors of the return in dollars quadrant. One where we keep six months of reserves and we're earning 1% on that money. And another one where we keep 12 months of reserves and we're earning 8% of that money. And I've showed you two different examples of how the returns might look on the same property where you do six months reserves or do 12 months reserves. And one thing I will point out is the amount you earn from appreciation and cash flow and debt paid out and tax benefits, the dollar amount you earn on all those does not change if you have six months of reserves or 12 months reserves. What does change is the amount you earn on the reserves. And I'm gonna pause for the briefest moment and let my puppy out because he keeps on coming over to me and then he walks over to the door and he's getting to be old. He's like 15 years old, so one second. Okay, I'm back. All right, so we just talked about reserves there. So um, getting back to this return in dollar quadrant sort of idea, you may be familiar with this idea if you've seen any of my classes where I talk about the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet. In that spreadsheet, you've seen that when we do the deal analysis, the second chart, the second graphic on the dashboard for doing this is the return in dollars, and we do that for year one. And in that particular chart, I show you what the return in dollar squadron is, excluding, excluding reserves. I show you the each dollar amount of appreciation, cash flow, debt pay down, and uh, cash flow depreciation. Then I also show you the returns for return in dollar squadron for R6, which is the six months of reserves earning 1%. And then finally, I show you the RIDQ plus R12 for 12 months of reserves at 8%. And I've highlighted those in red there. You can download a copy of the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet. If you haven't seen it before, just go to refp.info, and you can download a copy. Just put in your email address, and they'll email you. you know, the system will automatically email you a copy. It takes a couple minutes to do it, but it's automatic, and it'll happen for you there. So really, when you're looking at the spreadsheet, we've got this on there, and you're used to seeing it in this form, but we show it in different ways. Sometimes we'll show it as like this graphic, or sometimes we'll show it as a square with you know, the four different things with the total in the middle. Sometimes we'll add reserves in the bottom. Sometimes we won't. And so you could see all of those on there on the dashboard. If you wanna see more than just year one, you can always go to the overrides tab in the spreadsheet. There's more than one tab for the spreadsheet. The first tab is really the dashboard with all the inputs, the most basic inputs that you can do for like 99% of all your deal analysis. You just kind of use the front page for that. But we show all the details and allow you to override any number at any point in time um, on the overrides tab. And you could see the return in dollars for subsequent years, all the way through, I think, year 40, if I'm not mistaken. So you can see all that on there if you want to go to the overrides. Okay. So that's how you do it. And that's what you'd normally see if you were looking at one deal that you're analyzing. So if you want to go look at you know, a particular property that you're considering buying or a property that you already own, you want to just run it through the deal analysis spreadsheet, the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet, then you can go see that. But what if you want to see all of your properties? What if you wanted to see what, you know, the return is for appreciation for all the properties you own or the cash flow for all the properties or the debt pay down or the return you're getting on the reserves or the return you're getting from cash flow from depreciation or what the total amount you're getting for all these are? Well, if you have access to the real estate financial planner software, you can see your entire portfolio starting at any point in time. You can see it from the very beginning when you start analyzing. You can see it. Ten years in the future, or you know, year seventeen when you're going to actually retire, or you know, year twenty-two when you're going to start collecting your social security, you can look at what your portfolio would look like—a snapshot of um, that—any point in time using the real estate financial planner software, and you can see it in kind of like four major views. The first view is you can see it in this sort of like stacked column where each individual property it shows you the breakdown of how much you're getting in appreciation, how much you're getting. Um, from cash flow, how much you're getting in debt pay down, how much you're getting from cash flow from depreciation, how much you're earning in reserves. And it shows you each individual property stacked side by side by side so you can compare them very easily and see what they are. Or you could see any individual property using the more traditional kind of like graphical four quadrant thing with the reserves at the bottom, showing you the total amount and how it breaks down for each one of your um, different returns, the dollar amounts you're earning from each of those. And in addition to that, if you're like, hey, I want to just see one number for my entire portfolio, all the rental properties I own at that given time, we have a version of that return quadrant, return in dollars quadrant, where it sums up all of the appreciation you're getting from all of your properties of the cash flow you're receiving for that entire year for all of your properties, all the debt pay down, all of the tax benefits your cash flow from depreciation, all the amount you're earning in reserves for a total amount in total for all of your properties in your portfolio. And then of course, if you'd rather see it more of like a, a table format, We've got that view as well in the, in the Real Estate Financial Planner software. And you can access that. Just go to refp.com or realestatefinancialplanner.com, and uh, you can access that software if you have access already. But what if you don't have access to that? Well, that's why we are introducing the Rental Portfolio Return in Dollars Quadrant Spreadsheet. This works in Excel. Might work in Google Sheets. I don't know. I didn't test it there. Um, I can't guarantee it It might work in whatever the Apple version of uh, Excel is, but I built it in in Excel and that's what we designed it for. And so I know that it works there, but really what this does, it allows you to go in here and enter in all your different properties. Then write down all the different appreciations you have for each individual property, all the cash flow you're earning from each individual property, all the debt pay down you're estimating you're going to earn for that particular year, all the cash flow from depreciation you're going to get and how much you're earning on all the different reserves. Then it will total up how much you earn from all of those things by property and give you totals for all the appreciation for all the properties, all the cash flow from all the properties, all the debt pay down, all the cash flow from depreciation, all the reserves, and then the total for everything for all properties as one big number at the end. And in addition to that, we kind of break down, which I'll go over here in some detail here, about when you receive the money and whether it's speculative type of return or a more certain type of return. And I've also added something that I don't think I've added before on any of our spreadsheets. I think this is new. I create so much stuff, sometimes I forget what I put in other things. But I think this is brand new Um, when it is taxed. So all the different returns and when they become taxed and how they are taxed. Because different returns are treated differently from a tax perspective. And so we'll go and we'll look at all that. But I just want to show you what the spreadsheet is and we'll go over details. So how do you use this spreadsheet? Super, super easy, super simple. I tried not to make it really complicated. I may in the future combine different spreadsheets and make them all interact and stuff like that. But I wanted to keep this super straightforward for somebody who's just like, I just want to see the return in dollars, quadrants. I just want to look at that. So instructions are this: you enter in your property address, you pick a time frame. Usually it's gonna be what's gonna happen in the next year, but it doesn't have to be you can be like, hey, what happened last year or what's gonna happen for the next 10 years of this property? You decide what period of time you want that to be, and then you enter in your estimated numbers for appreciation, cash flow, debt pay down cash flow from depreciation, and the amount you expect to earn on your reserves for that particular property. And then you update this as frequently as you desire. So you want to do it once a year. Great. You want to do it every month. Great. You want to do it every six months. Whatever you want to do, it's designed for you to use as a tool, as a little dashboard for you to keep track of how your properties are performing when you do this. Okay. So that's as simple as the instructions are. And then it does some calculations for you and helps you and displays it in a really nice way. So let's just talk briefly about how you're going to calculate some of these things for um, the different things you're going to do now. Let's first talk about appreciation. For putting in the number for appreciation, you enter in your property, you decide you're going to do for the next year in the future. For doing appreciation, you usually take the value of the property and you multiply it by what you're estimating the appreciation rate will be. So for example, if you had a arbitrary number, $250,000 property, and it was expected to appreciate at 3% per year. You take $250,000 and you multiply by 003 and you'd get $7,500 is what you expect that property to go up in value in the next year. That's the only way you calculate it. It's really simple to do that. If it's 4%, use times by 0.04. If it's only going to go up 1%, you do 0.01. If you think you it's going to go down in value, you can multiply it by negative point something. So... Whatever you want to do, you could do it that way. If you want to get fancy and you're kind of like an advanced Excel person, you could totally use a formula here. You could use equals, and then you put the price in there, and you multiply it by whatever the percentage you've gotten there is. And it will then calculate what what it happens to be. Then at the end of the year, you come back in, you write down what the new value is, and you could change the appreciation rate. You just kind of keep updating your formula if you decide to do it that way. That's appreciation. Cash flow. What we usually do for cash flow is you take the estimated cash flow after calculating all your expenses, like, excuse me, vacancy, property taxes and insurance, property management, any, any utilities that you're paying as the landlord. You don't include uh, tenant paid utilities, uh, any maintenance of the property, any mortgage payments if you've got any of those. So for example, you might have a property that has $200 per month cash flow after all expenses, and you enter that $200 times 12 to get a yearly amount or about $2,400 for the year, as an example here. If you don't know how to calculate this, don't stress. Just use the World's Greatest Real Estate Deal Analysis Spreadsheet. Just go download at rep.info, and you can go ahead and do that, analyze your deal, and it will tell you what the cash flow is. It's the first graphic on there that you can go and just put in the cash flow for that um, and then multiply by 12 in order to figure out what it is there. So you don't have to worry about calculating this manual. Just use the World's Greatest Real Estate Deal Analysis Spreadsheet because it does all those calculations for you and then just enter in the numbers that you've got there. All right, for debt pay down, usually we'll estimate how much you're paying down on the loan in the next year. Now, you can estimate this, which is really just an estimate because it's not going to be exact, by looking at the amount of principal paid in the most recent mortgage statement. So you go look at your mortgage statement, it'll say, look, you paid this amount in interest and this amount in principal. Just take the principal amount, multiply by 12, and it will give you an estimate of approximately how much you're going to pay off in the next year on that particular property. Now, if you've got an amortizing loan, this is typically going to be a low conservative estimate since the amount you do pay on the loan when you have an amortizing loan does tend to increase with each mortgage payment that you make. The more you pay down on the loan, the lower the balance is, the lower the interest that you have to pay on that particular month's uh, payments. And so usually the amount of principal you're paying increases, it goes up with each payment you make. So this is gonna be conservatively low. And you can really go look if you're doing this in reverse, you say, look, what did I do over the last year? You can go look at the last 12 months of mortgage statements and add all those up as to how much you paid in principal if you want to do it that way. for looking into the future, it's close enough if you take the number for the last month and just multiply by 12. Sure, it's going to be off, but it's going to be conservative, and I think that's close enough for what we're doing there. So, for example, if you look at your mortgage statement and it says you paid $100 in principal on your last mortgage payment, just multiply that by 12, get $1,200 in principal for the year, and you enter that dollar amount in there. You could, if you were really an advanced Excel user, you could use a formula in here in order to calculate exactly how much your mortgage payments would pay off in a a 12-month period. Uh, There is a formula for doing that. I'll I'll just give you that hint. But you need to be an advanced Excel user to want to go in there and actually set up the formula to do that calculation for you. I will tell you, I personally don't think it's worth the effort because these are all going to be estimates anyway. Is your property really going to go up 3.000000% 3.000000% in the next year. The chance is almost zero that it will go up exactly three point zero 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 percent It's going to go up a little bit more than 3%. It's going to go up a little bit less than 3%. might even go down a little bit, depending on what the market conditions are doing. So we're guesstimating, we're estimating what this might be in the future anyway. So it doesn't matter if we're like accurate to the you know, seventh decimal place when we're trying to figure out how much you're getting a debt paid out? And yes, it is going to be conservatively low, but this just gives you a rough idea of approximately how much you're getting on a property when you do this. OK? All right, The next one is cash flow from depreciation. You can usually find this number under your tax return, or you can estimate it based on how much you paid for the property. This is not intended for me to be like a whole class on how to go calculate cash flow from depreciation. If you don't know how to calculate it, really simple solution: Just go use the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet. Analyze the deal you've got there. It'll actually estimate what your cash flow and depreciation will be based on what you put in there for the deal analysis, the purchase price, and you know, like, uh, uh, you know, what percentage of the property is land value, what percentage of the, is the building, and what your estimated effective uh, income tax rate is. It'll, it'll do a calculation to estimate what your cash flow and depreciation will be and just use that. Again, estimate is good enough. We're just kind of getting a rough idea from this stuff. So if you are also I'll know, if you're doing some type of accelerated depreciation, like you're going to go and itemize, um, you know, make all the different components in your house, you're going to accelerate your depreciation by moving everything forward to improve your cash flow on your particular property in the short term. Then realize that you might need to adjust these numbers to make it more accurate. But just estimate it, get an idea, and then you can go firm those up later if you need to, or go attack your talk to your CPA if you uh, have a CPA doing your taxes for you. So just do that and realize that depreciation goes away after 27 and a half years on residential properties, unless you've accelerated it and you've got to go up even, even faster than that. But in most cases, 27 and a half years, it's going to be zero after that. So if you own the property for more than 27 and a half years, I've uh, been renting it out for that period of time, it's going to be zero for your depreciation number. All right. And this is just another note on this estimating and annualizing. You know, how do you estimate things like cash flow when things are changing in the middle of your year? For example, you're doing this analysis in July. Well, in January, your taxes are probably changing and there may be a new lease coming on in May, which is going to increase the, increase the rents or decrease the rents, depending on what's happening in your marketplace and where you were able to get last time. So you're not going to be able to say my cash flow is $200 a month and multiply by that 12 because it's only an estimate because your taxes are going to be different in January and your, uh, you know, your, your May lease is going to come up and you know, there's all these different things that are happening where things are changing in the math that you're doing to calculate this estimating is okay. Don't stress about this. This isn't like precision forecasting to begin with. You know, your property expenses like maintenance are also likely to change. They're going to be different than what you're estimating anyway. So don't worry about it. Just kind of use some rough numbers. We're trying to get like a ballpark of how well this is doing. Take a month of cash flow, multiply it by 12 and consider that good enough. Is it going to be exact? No. Could you take the extra time to make it more exact by going there and say, well, my, my my taxes are going up in January. Here's what I think they are going to go up to. And so let's go ahead and change, you know, four months of the time that I'm doing this to be that. And oh yeah, by the way, the lease is going to renew. And I think I'm going to raise the rents by this amount and going to do that change and maintenance on the property this year are going to be higher because the tenant's been living in the property rough. And so I've got to estimate that. Sure. Could you go and do that and make it more accurate? Absolutely. You know, could it be really accurate if you're looking for the last 12 months and kind of doing this in reverse? Absolutely. But for now, just take a number and just estimate and make it accurate. Now. Once you got all your properties entered into the spreadsheet, what's great about this is now you can actually look at it and say, okay, where should I put in my effort? Where should I go and apply all the 88 different strategies we've got for improving cash flow on a rental property? And you've got the, the kind of like how to improve cash flow 88 uh, strategies all on the screen right now if you're watching the video version of this. And you can see or go listen to all the other classes done on how to improve cash flow. But you can look at the ones where cash flow is struggling. And look and focus and say, okay, well, these ones are great. I don't necessarily need to focus on those. Or maybe I want to focus on those because there's going to be the easier ones to improve. But you can decide which ones to focus on and which ones to apply the ADA strategies to. Similarly, you can go beyond the ADA strategies to improve cash flow and actually decide to look at where there are opportunities for you to do deal alchemy type stuff. You know, we talk about deal alchemy where we convert appreciation to more, more cash flow now or we look at taking, you know, debt pay down and we use that to improve cash flow. You can look at the properties where you have really strong appreciation or debt pay down or other things got going on and how we can manipulate those returns using deal alchemy principles and actually use those to decide to change our returns from one area of return to another. And that's what the deal alchemy classes are all about. It's like manipulating returns and say, look, cash flow is most important to me. So I want to focus in on cash flow and I'm willing to trade things like appreciation or debt pay down or the tax benefits, or even like the returns you're getting for reserves, or whatever you're doing there, and there are different things we can do, different types of strategies we can do in order to improve one return over another to kind of prioritize different returns and maybe move them in and out and kind of decide what we're going to do there. So use deal alchemy if you're looking at your spreadsheet, the kind of like summary spreadsheet for this class, and decide which ones that you want to do. So their entire class on deal alchemy, I'm not going to go into that, but that's how it's work. that it works. All right, this is what I think is a new slide. Um, how returns are taxed. How are the different returns that you're getting from uh, buying a property? How are they taxed? And so this is a new spreadsheet that shows you how it's done and when you're taxed on the property. So let's just break it down. There's appreciation, there's cash flow, there's uh, uh, debt pay down, there's cash flow from depreciation, there's reserves. So appreciation return is typically a deferred return. You're not getting that immediately until you sell the property or you refinance the property and then it's typically taxed at capital gains. So if you go in to sell the property, then you're gonna pay capital gains taxes on the property on the appreciation part of the return that you had during that time. However, there are a lot of caveats to the appreciation one. However, you're taxed on this increased value via increased property taxes immediately. So while we're not paying taxes on the amount that we gained in appreciation in terms of capital gains, because the property value did go up, the property assessor, the tax assessor is going to say, hey, look, this property is worth more. And so because of that, your property taxes are usually going to go up. So we do pay a little bit of an increased tax based on the property value going up in the form of property taxes. But that's not the real big one that gets you when you go and sell a property. And when you refinance a property, you probably don't have to pay the appreciation, the capital gains tax on appreciation. But if you actually go and sell the property, you will. Unless you may be able to defer the property taxes, the uh, the taxes, the capital gains taxes on the property uh, when you go and sell it by doing a 1031 tax deferred exchange. It doesn't eliminate your taxes, but it defers them to later. And there are lots of rules and regulations, so it does not class on 1031 exchanges, but really just realize that you can actually defer the capital gains taxes even when you sell the property by doing a 1031 tax deferred exchange. And not only that, but in addition to that, Sometimes you can completely eliminate the capital gains taxes due on the property going up in value when you die and you have a reset basis for your heirs. So the property went up in value a million dollars since you owned it, but you then die. You pass on the property to your heirs. Well, now their basis The amount that they're starting from to figure out how much capital gains they owe becomes that new million dollar higher valuation, not the one you had before. And so there are no capital gains taxes due on that dollar amount. There are all sorts of like rules and stuff like that and and taxes on your state and everything. Not going into that, but realize that this property, the capital gains due on any appreciation gains you have may be completely eliminated when you die if you have a reset basis for your heirs. Not that that's a good solution for getting rid of the taxes. On a particular property. Uh, and if you happen to sell the property in less than a year, the appreciation is typically taxed as ordinary income instead of that long term capital gains that we've been talking about. So there's a lot of like asterisks associated with the appreciation return, but that's the overall idea. It's deferred taxation and it's typically taxed as capital gains with a lot of like asterisk caveats to those things in there. Let's talk about cash flow now. Cash flow, after all your expenses, is typically taxed as ordinary income in the year that you earn it. So the year that you get that cash flow on the property, you're typically paying taxes on it, and it is typically taxed at an ordinary income tax rate. Debt pay down is typically taxed as an ordinary income in the year that you earn it. So the amount that you pay down that loan, that amount is usually taxed. It's, it's some people consider it part of the cash flow number, right? Like the amount of money you're getting minus the expenses, because you can only subtract the interest as an expense. You can't subtract the amount you pay in principle. You can't subtract the full mortgage payment. You can only subtract the interest part of the mortgage payment that you're paying. So the amount that you pay down in principle is actually a weird version of cash flow in 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 the sense only of taxation. Okay, so really the amount you pay down in principle on the loan that is typically taxed as ordinary income in the year that you earned it. Uh, cash flow from depreciation. This is typically applied in the year that you earn it and it reduces the qualifying ordinary income that you have. So it's a way of reducing the taxes you would need to pay. And there's lots of carry, you know, caveats and, and uh, exceptions and rules related to this. But generally, certain qualifying income can be reduced by the amount of gross depreciation. And if you figure out how much that gross depreciation was, you multiply it by your tax rate, you could find out how much extra money you have in your pocket at the end of the year by not having to pay those taxes in. And that's what we're calling cash flow from depreciation. It's the dollar amount that you didn't have to pay in taxes by owning this rental property. Okay. And so that's how that is taxed. Usually the year it's earned and it's reduced to ordinary income. Now there is a weird thing also about cash flow from depreciation. That is if you don't take it, they assume that you did take it. So it's not like you could just opt out. And if you don't qualify to take it, in many cases, you can hold that over. You can kind of like um, set it aside and take that deduction later on when you do finally qualify for it. So it's not like once you, you can't take it in that year, you lose it. You can actually set it aside and kind of like budget for it. Talk to your CPA or tax advisor about uh, how that works for your specific situation. And then finally, the returns from reserves are typically taxed as ordinary income in the year that it was earned. So if you have money in a savings account, or you have money in CDs or the stock market, and you're earning on that particular money, you're getting a return on that. That's typically taxed as ordinary income in the year in turn. Now, again, seek a professional to verify this for your situation. I am not a tax expert by any stretch of the imagination. I've had zero tax training, but this is just like my knowledge of the topic. So as a starting point for you. All right. Next two things on the spreadsheet. These are like on the bottom here. You kind of see. So uh, it is the, when is this money received? Not all of the returns you're earning are received immediately. Some of them are received later. Some of them are received like right now in the year that you're earning them. So the sum returns you receive right away, which we call cash now returns, you get that cash now, so you're earning it right away, is cash flow from the property, the cash flow from depreciation, those tax benefits you get by owning the property, you get that in this year for the taxes that you do. And then also the returns you're getting from reserves. So those are the three areas of returns, the three returns that you get to keep now. You get to earn this year or this, this month that you get whenever you kind of receive those. And um, depends on how you structure everything, but really it's like you, you're not delayed in getting those. Now, some returns you receive when you sell a property or when you refinance a property, we call those cash leader returns. And those tend to be appreciation, the tendency for property values to go up, over time and paying down the loan, debt paid out. Really what we're talking about is accessing the equity in your property. When property values go up and you bound you owe and the loan goes down, the amount of equity you have in your property actually increases. And then how do we get at that equity? Usually we get that equity either by selling the property or doing some type of cash out refinance. And so in order to get access to that cash later returns, the equity you built up in the property, you need to wait a while, you need to sell the property or refi it. Okay, So that's what when you receive the money. So you can see the total amount for cash flow, total amount for cash flow from depreciation, total amount from reserves. And then it will sum up all those and show you that in this particular example, $12,960 between all three of these returns is how much you're receiving in your returns for cash now. And then a larger amount, a much larger amount is cash later. This is a lot of times why when people talk about real estate, they refer to it as a wealth building asset because a lot of the returns you're earning are cash later returns. You're not getting this in year one unless you're doing some weird deal alchemy where you're able to move the returns from cash later up into the cash now. That's part of what's happening with deal alchemy. You're manipulating the returns like appreciation and debt paid out and you're deciding to move it into returns like you know, uh, cash flow. And that's, that's how it's think about manipulating. We're moving it from cash later to cash now. And it's not always a one-to-one trade as I talk about a lot in deal alchemy. Okay, So you get the idea about when you receive the money. Speculative or certain. So some returns are more speculative, uncertain, um, not they're more market dependent in nature. We don't know really what's going to happen. For example, do we know how much a property is going to go up in value in year one? Absolutely not. It's purely a guess. We think it's going to be 3%, could be 24%, could be negative 24%. We really don't know. We have a tendency to think that over a very long period of time, real estate tends to appreciate about 3% a year nationwide. Lots of different exceptions to that. Lots of different market conditions happening. And so really, uh, the appreciation return is very speculative. And we're uncertain in nature. We really don't know what's going to happen. And to a similar degree, cash flow is also more speculative and less certain. A lot of people think, I know I've got a fixed lease. You know, I'm definitely going to get at least $200 a month in this particular property. And that's a pretty certain thing. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, that is definitely not true. I mean, you could have a tenant who, um, you know, stops paying on your mortgage Then you're not getting $200 a month or stops paying on their on their lease. Rather, and you're not getting that amount of money or, you know, there's a lot of maintenance on the property. You know, you need a new roof and that's $10,000. You thought you were going to get $200 a month. Well, now you're negative $7,500 for the year when you really think about that. So, no, the cash flow is not that certain. It is definitely more speculative. And who knows how much rents will go up in the future. You know, they might go up 3% next year. They might go up 5%. They might go up negative 5%. They might go up negative 10%. We really don't know. It's a lot of market dependency there. There's a lot of market speculation and risk and uncertainty. There's a lot of of variation in what we're going to see. That's another way of describing this is like, how much variation are we likely to see in these things? Similarly with reserves. Sure, you could go and invest your reserves and like a CD where you get a guaranteed you know, 1% return on your money by having the CD. And in that case, I could probably make an argument to even move this from more speculative, less certain to less speculative and more certain in terms of reserves. But if you're taking this money and you're investing in something like bonds or um, to a greater degree, the stock market or crypto or anything crazy like that, where you're going to actually get a much wider variance of different returns you might get, it is definitely more speculative and less certain the return you're getting there. So, the returns that we think of as more speculative in nature, market-dependent, uncertain are appreciation, cash flow, and depending on what you're investing in with your reserves, the reserves, okay? And then we add up those three and we show you the total amount of the more speculative, less certain re- returns you're earning are $80,781 is like um, based on the spreadsheet with the example numbers, which you should just write over and replace. I put sample numbers in there so you can see how it works, but the idea is just overwrite them with your own stuff. Now, some returns are less speculative, they are more certain, and they're closer to being, in quotes, guaranteed. Not anything in life is guaranteed, but these are more, they're, they're more closer to guaranteed than the other returns we've talked about so far. So for example, debt pay down. The amount you pay down on a loan is contractually determined. So when you get your mortgage on a property, you're agreeing to pay you know, 360 payments over this time period of this amount, and then you can go look at, well, in payment number one, this amount of principal is being paid off in payment number one. If I make the payment and payment number two on time, then this amount is being paid off and in payment number three. And so it's pretty much locked in as to where you're gonna get. It doesn't matter if property values go up or property values go down or rents go up or rents go down. If you make that mortgage payments as agreed, you're gonna get this return from debt paid out. It doesn't matter what the market is doing. It's contractually agreed to by between you and the lender as to the amount you're getting from debt pay down. Can you choose to pay more? Sure. Can you choose to not make your mortgage payment and then you're not actually making a thing and you're not going to get that return? Absolutely. So it's not guaranteed and like it's guaranteed guaranteed. It's like if you're making payments as agreed, you're very likely to get that particular return from debt pay down because it's a contract between you and the lender with certain terms as to how that's all going to work. The next one is cash flow from depreciation. This is based on tax law. So if you buy a property and the value of the land is subtracted out and you just have the value of the building and you divide by 27 and a half years, that is the dollar amount of gross depreciation you are likely to get by owning that particular rental property. It doesn't matter if the market is up, doesn't matter if the market is down, unless they change the tax law and it is retroactive so that it changes like things you had in place from before, you are getting this return from cash flow from depreciation. So that is why it's less speculative and more certain. And we already talked about this example, but if you're investing your reserves in something, it can move from being more speculative, less certain, like if you're investing in stocks, or it could be less speculative, more certain if you're investing in something with like a fixed, cool guarantee rate of return, like a CD, okay? And so that's why that can move back and forth. All right, so in conclusion, use the rental portfolio return in dollars quadrant spreadsheet to keep track of all the different returns of your portfolio. This will break them out really nice, make it very clear as to where all your returns are coming from, Use it to apply cash flow improving strategies and any deal alchemy principles that you want to do to manipulate and improve different parts of returns or move them back and forth between where they are. Or use it to better understand the tax implications of different parts of returns. Understand like when things are taxed and how they are taxed and decide to do tax planning and understanding like what the implications are, the different types of returns and when you're earning them and when they actually get applied. And then use it to better understand when you receive your returns, whether it's cash now or cash later and then use it to better understand the speculative certain nature of different returns. Which ones are really market dependent and are likely to be wide variants and which ones are more consistent, more solid and less likely to change over time, like you know, the debt pay down portion and your cash flow and depreciation as examples there. So that's all I got. Hopefully you liked the new spreadsheet. Hopefully you liked the new class. Let me know, go ahead and use it, download it and uh, we'll go from there. This has been James Orr. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up,